Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. Typically on this show, I interview individual artists, but today we're breaking that mold a little bit, and I'm interviewing a duo, which makes up Sun Moon Pie. Um, Sun Moon Pie is an Atlanta-based Jewish music group writing and performing a blend of spiritual and sometimes quirky songs that explore the human condition through the lens of Jewish and Kabbalistic themes with a focused, meditative, kirtan-style Hebrew chanting inspired by the Jewish liturgy. Sun Moon Pie features the duo of singer-songwriters Bonnie Puckett on piano and Michael Levine on guitar. Michael is a co-founder of the children's music education company, The Learning Groove, and a music producer. He's also the former winner of the prestigious Eddie's Attic Open Mic Shootout and has won many songwriting and music production awards. Bonnie is an employment attorney with the law firm of Ogilvy Deacons and sings with the female acapella group Octave. Bonnie and Michael regularly lead alternative services at AA Synagogue, which features Sun Moon Pie's original music and recently prayers set to the music of famous artists such as the Beatles, Simon and Garfunkel, and U2. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm glad to have both of you on the show. So I'm interested how each of you got, in, got involved in the art of music. So Bonnie, I think, I think ladies first. Sure. Well, I've been playing the piano since I was about five. I was classically trained. And I've always loved singing and playing music. And the, I think the most important part of religion and spirituality to me is the musical part. So it segued very nicely into uh, turning my music towards spiritual singing and songwriting. So, Michael, what about you? I, uh, my, my parents tell me that uh, when I was a baby, they used to come into my room in the morning and my crib would be across the floor <laughs> because I would be rocking in bed and singing to myself even before I could really say any words. So I, I was always very musical, even though my parents don't really sing at all. And... Um, you know, I just was always the loudest singer in my elementary school music classes, even though I was shy everywhere else, and gradually learned to play guitar and bass and drums and went from there. And I believe you're both songwriters, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So how did, how did you each get started um, actually writing songs, going from the playing and singing to, to writing your own songs? Well, for me... Um, you know, for me, I, I just they used to just come into my head. I used to just get melodies when I was young, I mean, third grade, maybe younger, and I would just get these melodies. And I had taken just a couple of months of guitar lessons, so I knew a little bit about music notation, but not. I just knew enough that a higher note is a higher dot and a lower note is a lower dot, lower dot. So I used to write out these little melodies. This is way back before there were voice recorders and things like that. Um, and I would, you know, gradually I just kept writing down my little snippets. And then uh, my first song didn't come until I was asked to write one for a, a, a getaway. It was a Jewish youth group I was 
very loosely involved with, but um, some of my good friends were in it. There was a big camping retreat for a weekend. They said, can you write a friendship song? And at the time, I was in the heavy metal, but sure, I wrote a folky uh, <laughs> friendship song, and that ended up becoming the theme song for our youth group, and I got more involved in that, and that was a big gateway into my Judaism, actually, which is really fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. I've been songwriting for a much smaller length of time than that, <laughs> but I've... I've sort of drawn my inspiration from Judaism, from the Jew- Jewish liturgy, and I just find the prayers themselves and just the concepts very inspirational. And so it's actually been pretty recent that I've gotten involved in that, and most of the music that I've written is is liturgical or liturgical-based. So. so how did the two of you meet each other and, and come up with this interest of, of creating a duo to perform together? <laughs> Um, well, well, we, we met through the Jewish community and we met a few times, but I think, uh, the first time we actually, uh, we have a common friend, uh, Steve Grossman, who actually, uh, recently founded Steve's Live Music. It's a really great music venue in Sandy Springs. Uh, he's very involved in the Jewish community and he's helped me. He even managed my career for a while. He, uh, he met Bonnie and suggested that she sing with me. I was I was uh, playing music with the rabbi for what we called Absolute Unplugged. It was uh, uh, at our synagogue. It was basically like an unplugged version of just me and the acoustic guitar and then the rabbi and leading more alternative melodies than the traditional Jewish melodies. And then Bonnie joined me and started singing with me for those, singing harmonies. And from there, we, we, we wrote our first song on a weekend retreat up at Camp Ramah. And we just kept working from there. He left out one detail, yeah, which I'm is sure I that, did, huh? uh, which <laughs> is that Steve really just wanted us to get together as a couple. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's really how I I ended up playing and singing with Michael. Uh, Michael actually, uh, Steve is wonderful, total mensch, and he uh, he likes he likes to put people together, but he would often try to get Michael to sing with different people, and Michael would do it, but also kind of grudgingly sometimes. But uh, when he did it with me, it was with the express aim of us getting together, which we did. So, Although, I, you know, I, I also think he, he was also, he liked your voice and was also interested in getting you involved as well. So I, I, I do. It worked too, on multiple levels. Exactly. It had many different cosmic uh, intentions there. So how does your spirituality find expression in your art of music? a good question. I think that's a really interesting one for the two of us because we both have very different approaches to spirituality. So uh, I think it's interesting that we're able to come together on this plane for it. And I think that's really a a special thing. Um, Judaism is a very thought-focused and a very uh, action-focused religion. And it's not as much about faith so to speak, it's, there's nothing you necessarily have to believe or very little that you have to believe. Uh, it's much more about following actions, following commandments, living your life a certain way, and improving the world, tikkun olam, uh, this world. It's very focused on this world. And within that, music is, you know, it's cultural, it's spiritual, um, and to me the music is sort of the connection between the action and the faith. So it's, it's a way to express spirituality um, 
within Judaism and also build bridges to other other forms of spirituality. That's really neat. Uh, I guess for me, I have a, a slightly different, I guess, perspective. You know, where I grew up on it, not different perspective in terms of what's right or wrong, but more for where I'm coming from, is that I guess I grew up uh, with just just immersed in music. I would just I, I spent a lot of time just listening to music on my headphones at home in my room, and I was just really into music. And for a long time, that was almost my religion in a way, even though I was raised Jewish and I did all the Jewish uh, bar mitzvah and the and all the uh, regular things. But um, so music just really spoke to me in a much deeper level. And so it's been a really cool process. Um, I mean, over the years, my journey has been one of, you know, from Judaism being that stuff I grew up with that I had to go to. uh, And, you know, but having music be such a strong part of my life to exploring world religions, a lot of Eastern religions, uh, meditation and things like that. And then finding my way back to Judaism and discovering the Kabbalah or Kabbalah, um, which is the mystical Judaism, and realizing that all the other things, the more mystical stuff I'd been exposed to in other religions was right there in Judaism as well. And also having my music gradually, you know, well, really meeting Bonnie was a big part of this because, uh, you know, I, I was a songwriter for years and I always wrote about spiritual themes but only since I met Bonnie have we really been writing expressly Jewish songs like that uh and they're still borrowing from other traditions like using kirtan which is based out of the it's the meditative chanting from yoga traditions um but it's been really cool now to be able to write and perform and I don't even know if perform is necessarily the right word when you're in a in an actual service but uh to sing these songs as a, as a prayer as opposed to like you know when I was before that, my songwriting was more about spiritual themes, and it was definitely a spiritual experience for me. But now it's it's it takes on a different uh, picture, I suppose. It's it's more it's a little more rich, I guess, to be able to sing these Jewish songs and prayers in a meditative environment and in a prayerful environment, so that it serves others as well. So, can can you all describe a little bit more, or explain a little bit more about what the the kirtan um, chants are and what that what goes into that? Yeah. Um, kirtan is based out of the yoga traditions, uh, you know, out of Hinduism, I suppose. Um, and it's usually done in Sanskrit, uh, which is the language of Hinduism and Buddhism, too. Um, and the idea, it's based out of bhakti yoga, which is uh, a form of yoga that's based on devotion. And so, uh, and just in heartfelt devotion. And so the idea, most kirtan chants tend to be call and response, though they don't have to be. So the audience is participating. Yeah, it's all very participatory. It's not meant to be a performance piece in any way. And uh, so there's the lead singer or singers who usually do a call and the audience does the response. And it it, it's, it can usually just be a, a handful of phrases for like eight to ten minutes or even longer. You know, they can go on for 30 minutes if you want, although uh, it's it's rare to find people who take the time to do that. But, um, and basically the idea is just from repeating these mantras over and over again with the melody, it it is a meditation in and of itself and it's a prayer and you're feeling the devotional quality. You can really feel what you want. You can't dictate what somebody's going to feel. But um, 
and it's a really cool thing. And it, it, it's something that's been done in those yoga traditions, but recently more Jewish singers have been embracing it, but using Hebrew. Uh, there's someone named Kirtan Rabbi who's based out of New York. His name is uh, Rabbi Andrew Hahn, but he goes by Kirtan Rabbi. Uh, Yofia is another artist. There, there's several of them out there, but um, we've been writing our own chants, and it's been a really cool thing to explore. It's actually a lovely way to meditate for people who don't like to meditate. <laughs> I am one of those people, and uh, I just have trouble sitting still. I have trouble finding the stillness, but in this form of meditation, when you're repeating a sung phrase, and especially if, if you have if singing brings you peace and joy, if, if you're a person like that, even if your voice isn't pleasant to yourself, it, it really doesn't matter. All you have to do is uh, sing the words, and it it really takes you to a meditative place, even if you don't ordinarily get there through the traditional meditation. Well, I think one of the basic things in most meditations is controlling your breath. Mm -hmm. And so when you're singing, you almost automatically have to do that to be able to even sing, to be able to have some control of your breath and have a rhythm that happens with your breath. So I think that's interesting that you that you bring that up as a as a way of meditation. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I guess um you know, uh, there's the breath form of meditation where you just focus on the breath and it, but this is you know, I'd say like from you know the kirtan chanting for me like it's it's more of uh it's it just the re repetition allows you to silence your thoughts and really just dive into either what you're saying or even if you don't know what you're saying if it's mm -hmm. another language it it's just it's it's what slows your brain waves and just allows you to feel that connection i suppose mm -hmm. it's 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 almost like instead of focusing on the breath you're focusing on what you're singing right yeah so and that's really neat I believe in the yoga tradition, although Michael knows way more about this than I do, the actual words are themselves powerful. So there's there's something to that, just the, the phonemes. And I majored in linguistics in college, so this idea is really kind of cool on a, on a nerdy level to me, <laughs> that you can have these phonetic sounds, these, these sequences of phonemes together that can create an energy in and of themselves. And that's a really interesting part of trying to translate kirtan, these phrases that have sort of been established as having in inherent power, and finding similar phrases phonetically, not just meaning wilds, but phonetically within the Jewish liturgy to try to translate that, to try to find powerful phonetic sounds. Well, and that really. ties in perfectly with what my next question is, is how do you sit down and start to write a kirtan chant I mean, do you pick the word first? Do you pick the phonetics first? Do you pick the the rhythm of it? How, how do you decide where to start with that? That's a great question. I think I think we will probably have very different answers to this one too. Um, I tend to start from a concept, some kind of uh, prayer concept. Like, for example, one of the kirtans we wrote, Modim Anachnulach, is. Uh, based on gratitude. And so there's a lot of really dense phonetic sounds in that prayer. And it was also a prayer that doesn't have a lot of melodies associated with it, at least not for the, at least not extended song-like melodies um, in the liturgy. So I wanted to find something that fit with that. And then that's where I, I usually start. And then I sit with that and see, see what melodies come. 
That's neat. That's not too different from the way I would do it, too. Um, I mean, now my songwriting, just for regular songs, where I'm making up the lyrics, is very different than the kirtan chants because the chants tend to come from the liturgy. We'll take the prayer book and find uh, a prayer that we relate to, or you know, sometimes it's come from an outside source. Someone has said, why don't you write a kirtan about this phrase? I'm like, okay. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and then really it's just... For me, music always just kind of flows. There's always music in my head at all times, so I'm just I just would sit with my guitar and just start chanting something and gradually shaping it, you know, and, and that's the way I would do it, or that I do do it. <laughs> so when you all are creating, whether it's the kirtan or whether it's some of the other music that you're creating, do you have uh, any kind of a process or a ritual that you use to kind of get into that creative flow and to connect with the divine energy before you create? It's interesting. I, I mean, the simple answer is actually no. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> it kind of hits you. It's, uh, and that's actually something we struggle with because we're both so busy. Yeah. And it's hard to plan time to... When you're going to be creative. Right. It's yeah. like, okay, inspiration is going to strike me at 9.30 p.m. on Thursday because that's the only time I have free this week. Right. <laughs> so it's not something you can control as much, although we've, you know, that's something that we are working on yeah we we try to schedule creative time and we try to do that and uh and it's really interesting because sometimes you know we've each just kind of started melodies and then come to each other and helped each other finish them or some of them we we've done independently or some we've sat down from the start and just came up with things um you know sometimes it's from moments of you know great pain or you know where you're just like something's troubling you so you just need to sit down with your instrument and just start playing just to work out your own stuff and sometimes uh, we know we have some event coming up and we want to write a new song for this. So for let's a just, holiday. Yeah, for a holiday Jewish or something. Holiday. So let's, hey, let's try to write something about this holiday. Maybe we'll take this aspect of uh, you know, the philosophy or inspiration around that holiday and let's see what we come up with. So there's, there's really a lot of different ways in which we come up with our mm-hmm. songs. Well, and I know that you all regularly perform at your synagogue. Do you uh, try to come up with a certain number of new songs every month or something new every week or we did for a while we did for a while and, and now that we was have my idea yeah it didn't work that well though <laughs> <laughs> again because of the same thing about trying to force it too much but but it is good sometimes for me you know i work well having some type of outside motivation in order to get me to sit down and, and do it and then the inspiration will usually come um just because I find myself so busy as well. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the other thing we do at AA, which is, to my best knowledge, Ahavath Achim is how it's pronounced. Which is the name of the synagogue. Exactly. Um, One thing that we've been doing recently is taking the prayers and putting them to popular bands. And that, of course, is a very different exercise, uh, but actually not completely different because you're still working from the liturgy and you're trying to find new threads within the liturgy and connect them to threads within these popular songs. And the idea is that for some people, they might connect to the song and not the prayer. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find a link between the song and this prayer, you can maybe get someone to see or feel something about the service and the liturgy that they never felt before. So. Well, and I know that you all, um, there was an event in Atlanta that was called Chantlanta yes. that you all were involved in. What was what What did you all do there at Chantlanta? What was the performance part that you did? Well, uh, we basically just, uh, 
what I love about Chantlanta and also just our, our, our more kirtan-focused gigs as opposed to when we do some kirtan songs in the context of a service, of a Friday night Shabbat service, uh, when when we you know we got to take a whole hour and just do the kirtan chants and that's really nice because uh, you know in Judaism the traditional prayers are more you know they've been around for centuries I mean they you know and I'm sure they've adapted over time but um, there's a prescribed way usually just a lot of times people will just like go as fast as they can through the prayers and just because they know them and not to say that that doesn't mean it's not meaningful to them. I'm just saying it's kind right. of a, and the process. But. Not to interrupt, but the Jewish mm-hmm. service, for those who might not know, it's actually the same service every time. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically certain prayers are, and I don't want to say for every single service, but for example, there's certain prayers that you recite every morning, every afternoon, every evening. So those ty- those services, they follow the same structure every time, and they're often thought of as pretty rote. Mm-hmm. So it would be easy to not to just say it without being very mindful mm-hmm. of it. Right. And that's something that, that people struggle with. I tend to think that there's a beauty in it. Um, I, I actually love this aspect of, of Judaism. It's something that speaks to me, I think, a little bit more than, than Michael. Um, but this is part of why incorporating new traditions into the liturgy is so interesting mm-hmm. because you're you're changing this you're taking these prayers that are recited every single day and you're adding these new melodies and these new ruach is a word that kind of is translated spirit. as spirit mm-hmm. um hopefully adding a new a new spirit to this prayer that's been around and has been said by Jews all over the world every day for as Michael mm-hmm. said, centuries and longer. So it might give someone a new perspective on the words or the meaning or something that has to do with that. Yeah, and so like, so that's the Jewish, that's the typical Shabbat service, the Sabbath, Friday night or Saturday morning services. And then so Chantlanta, you know, in contrast, I suppose, is more just we don't have to stick to the order of the, of the prayers. We can do a certain, you know, one melody for 10 minutes if we want, whereas in a regular Friday night service, people would be like, you know, they've had a long day at work. They want to get to the food already. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, of course, simplifying. But, you know, um, so, yeah, so it's just nice to have a whole hour to really just sink into what we're doing and to have a group of people there who are all there for the same thing to just really have this deep experience uh, and we also have fun with it too, but it's it's uh it's it's really nice to get to do long versions of the songs and get into a real state of mind. Well, and Bonnie, I know that you also perform with an acapella group that is a, is separate from the work you do with Michael. And Michael, I assume that you probably do some work that's separate from Bonnie as well. So how does how do you find that your spirituality um, gets expression in those in those instances of your of your art that aren't specifically related to your faith? Well, I, like Michael, I tend to think of music as very religious inherently. It's uh, just something that always has been a part of me. So I, throughout my life, have always, I mean, I'm a lawyer by day, so obviously I I spend most of my day doing things other than music. but all through law school and college and through the years, I've always just tried to keep music in my life somehow. And that has been a very spiritual thing for me. And when I first moved to Atlanta, I hadn't looked for a synagogue or anything yet. Uh, I auditioned for this acapella group. And that was my main singing outlet for the first 
you know, three, four years that I lived here until I met Michael and now I do both. So it's still a very, very important part of my life musically and um, I enjoy it very much. So Michael, what about you? Yeah, um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades in some ways. I've always thrived on trying different things. So, I mean, I have my singer-songwriter career, which I've done since, I guess, high school. You could say I've always been writing songs. Um, folk rock is an easy category to call it, although singer-songwriter is better because I write in many styles. Um, so there's that whole dimension. I have four CDs out of that music. But then I also have um, a whole – I have six CDs of children's music I've done with my uh, partner, Eric Litwin. Uh, we created The Learning Groove together. And we do. Uh, I love that name. I think it's a great name. Yeah, thanks, thanks. It's uh, we we uh we created six CDs. We also have parent and child class curriculum, and we have teacher training uh, online for teachers who want to become who want to teach to children. And we also have a preschool curriculum, and we and we have online resources that have lyrics and activities. So we've really built this whole world around this music that's all based on bringing interactive music and literacy to children and to families. And uh, and is it usually inter- individual families that access this music, or is it schools that have their classrooms doing it all together, or a combination? It could be uh, a combination. It could be, uh, you know, the parent and child music classes are for young zero to four-year-olds, newborn to four-year-olds. And, uh, you know, parents come with their kids once a week to a class, but then hopefully they go home and listen to that music and they're singing in their cars and hopefully they're doing the activities at home, like the hand movements and things mm-hmm. like that. And then also preschools and, and elementary schools can, you know, the teachers can use these songs in class in and of themselves or as an aid to teaching their lessons, whatever the topic might be that they're teaching. And, you know, so it's really all of the above. <laughs> Well, and do either of you have a story that you could share of how your music has expanded your awareness of God? Story. <laughs> What's that? Do you have one? Do you want to go first? Uh, if you have one, you can go. Hmm. <laughs> but. Well, I think, I think it for me it goes it goes back to thinking about other faiths and. Uh, Trying so in in Judaism we are very the one if you would call it a creed um, I don't think that that word is quite right but we say what's called the Shema and the Shema is basically a declaration that God is one so the one God and you can interpret that in in different ways but through this form of music through this kirtan music it's it's nice to sort of see how one God can be, um, how different faiths can sort of reach the same plane of spirituality through this this form, through this kirtan chanting form. And um, it really does sort of expand the concept of the oneness of God to me. My first kirtan experience was with Michael. I didn't expect to like it, actually. <laughs> um, I tend not to like going to you know, just other places of, of worship. They're, they can be uncomfortable for me if I'm not used to it. Uh, so I went to this, and it was it was just amazing. It was wonderful, and I thought this is this is great. I should have been doing this for years, and being able to bring Judaism and that together is has definitely expanded 
uh, spirituality and God for me. Yeah, I, I have, uh, you know, two aspects there, I guess, you know, growing up music, you know, listening to the radio or tapes or CDs and uh, as I was growing up was my way of, it was almost like therapy to me because I'd, I'd have, I was very shy growing up. And so it, it allowed me to kind of dive within myself and kind of heal the tensions of the day. And, uh, and then as I got older, you know, certain words w or music would just inspire me. They would just lift me up, make me feel a certain thing or certain lyrics might give me that aha moment. You know, we're like, oh yeah, that's right, and this, you know, and then that might apply to something in my life. That's just, it's just part of that spiritual growth is those aha moments and those inspirational moments. And so, music has always done that for me. But it's really interesting because, you know, um, as I've gotten older and I've become a full-time musician, it gets harder for the same music that I used to listen to to inspire me in the same way because I've kind of heard so much already. It doesn't mm -hmm. hit you like it does when you're a teenager or something. And so that's what's been really cool about uh, the kirtan music and just Jewish music and, and really any spiritual music is that suddenly it's no longer about just getting these little moments of inspiration. It's more of a conscious – I mean, well, doing it is more of a conscious thing, but then also just the – it's more of a, a prayer-like experience of actually sinking in to, 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 to pray to God and to meditate and to just bring your awareness up to a different level for me. And so that's a different way. It, it's related, of course, but uh, it's been neat to see the progression of just like pop music inspiring me and going into more spiritual, you know, spiritually designated music, you right. know, actually serving that role to, to uplift me where, where pop music has, has kind of fallen away a little bit in its ability to still impact me in the same way when I was a kid as when I was a kid. So can can either of you talk about the experience of um, the energy from an audience, the actual performing and the energy of the audience versus when you're creating on your own and and having, as you were you know saying that very spiritual experience of of creating the art versus that performance part and the interaction that you get from the people that are listening to you perform or or participating in what you're performing. That's uh, that question actually reminded me of another experience to answer your previous question that I think Michael will agree with, uh, and that is when we did a kirtan session on Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement where everyone fasts and you're not allowed to drink water, you're not allowed to eat anything, you aren't supposed to clean, you're not supposed to wash your hair or you know, any part of you, you're not supposed to wear the leather, you're not supposed to wear makeup, all of these things just sort of making you the rawest version of yourself. And you spend the day atoning for your sins before God. And during that last three or four hours before the final service, we held a series of kirtan chants. And I just have to say the energy in that room was amazing. And I think the just the rawness of everyone who who had been fasting and you know we're tired we're we're hungry and and it's just such an amazing spiritual day for everyone and even though it was a 3 hour session we were all so elevated afterward mm. so that 
energy, I think, I mean, that's what it is all about, I think, getting in a room and getting that energy, just finding a way to get to that energy. And, and that sort of keeps us going and wanting to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you found a way to, if you're, if you're in front of an audience and you're feeling like you don't quite have them with you, is there a way that you're able to get that energy more connected so that you do get them to come along with you on this journey? Yeah, I think uh, some of that just comes from experience. I mean, whether it's our kirtan music or even when I'm singing to rooms of kids, you know, mm-hmm. I have all 300 kids I would kids think kids might even me. be harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, you just have to learn some techniques to use to get people involved, and, and you just try out different things until you find things that work. Um, but one thing I've found is that, like, definitely trying to be present to their the audience's energy you know, because you might come in with your particular feeling and what you want to express and the way you want things to go. But if they're in some kind of different place, you can't just blah, just do your thing and expect them to to just be right there with you. I mean, it can work. But uh, to some degree, I always find myself trying to really empathize and relate to where the audience is at so I can kind of subconsciously make a little plan of how I'm going to take them from where they are and bring them to a place that I want to bring them to. Um, as best as I can. So do you find that it's different the way that you interact with adult audiences than the way you interact with children's with children audiences? <laughs> yeah, it, it used to be a lot more different because I used to just be more of a rocker and then, you know, I'd be really goofy with the kids and uh, uh, to the point where I was, I would almost hope that, you know, nobody who saw me in my rock world would ever see me <laughs> working with kids. And it was a real conundrum because, uh, you know, with my website and all this, I wasn't sure how to package all this. And eventually I kind of uh, have found a more of a middle ground, a happy medium that I feel comfortable. And, I, and it's funny, even building my website out, the most latest incarnation, actually helped me with my self-definition a little bit and how I want it to be. Because now I have three panels on my website. I have uh, spiritual music, singer-songwriter, and children's music, and it's all right there. These are the three things I do, and it's and it's this is me as opposed to me trying to compartmentalize and trying mm-hmm. to be one thing here and something else there. But um, so yeah, so now I bring a little more cool into my children's music, and I bring a little more goofy and interactiveness into my adult music, and I think it, it it's been a really nice. Uh, I feel a lot more whole right now, this phase of my life, doing all three things, the spiritual music, the singer-songwriter, and the children's music, and feeling like it's still me and I'm being authentic. Well, I think most adults need a little more goofy in their lives. So <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. that that's great that you're able to bring that into the music that you're doing with adults as well. Mm-hmm. So how did you all come up with the name, Sun Moon Pie? <laughs> Talking about a little goofy, that's such an unusual name. I love that. Well, the first song we wrote was based on a prayer, uh, it's Uma Viryom Umevi Lila is the simple phrase that we chose. And that's uh, – it's it's part, a very small part of the liturgy uh, that talks about this, uh, God's bringing the sunrise and the sunset in that cycle of life. And so we wrote that song together. That's the first one we wrote together. And so it's really sacred to us uh, as a couple and as a partners in our music. And uh, so Sun Moon was kind of a natural thing. And we sent that name around to some friends. What do you think? But, you know, we were kind of like, it just sounds a little too, like, cliche and new agey or something. It's actually you know? the rabbi who <laughs> yeah, go for it. Who said that. Um, and then he said, it always makes – it sort of makes me think of moon pies. <laughs> and then we were like, okay. 
Sun Moon Pie. <laughs> How about that? So we took what he really didn't like and made it into our name. Exactly. And then we sent it back to him and he said he liked it. I don't know if he was actually telling the truth, but <laughs> but it's a very catchy name and it's very memorable, which I yeah. think is what you want when you've got any kind of a band. Memorable, definitely. I think what we wanted to capture a little bit with it was the sacred and the mundane together, uh-huh. the quirkiness and the, uh, you know, that basically everything can be sacred. Right. Everything mm-hmm. can be holy and everything can be sacred. Be, yeah. And while being a little funny at the same time. You, Absolutely. You, know, and, uh, you don't have to check your sense of humor to be <laughs> spiritual. Absolutely. I yeah. love that. And I think our name took on a special significance. I, I took on the task of making a logo for us. And, uh, so our logo has a circle with, you know, kind of a, the arc of the moon and the blue part and then the yellow of the sun. And then we put a – for pi, we made the pi symbol. Even though we spell our name P-I-E, uh, we took the P-I uh, from the 3.14, et cetera, right. et cetera. Um, that symbol happens to look a whole lot like the Hebrew letter. Is it chet? Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? And, uh, and if you add a yud, a little extra little bit at the end of it, which it's is another like, letter. That's another Hebrew letter, the Yud. Those two letters together spell Chai, which means life in oh. Hebrew. And so we kind of – it's sun, moon, pi, but our pi on the logo has this Chai, which is a heart of Jewish – you know. So we're mm-hmm. huge geeks in other <laughs> <ways>. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I love that though. That's awesome. So, so how do you all – how do your ideas come to you, and then how do you decide which ideas you're going to move forward with? Because it sounds like you both have lots of things going on and lots of ideas that are already, that are always happening. So I'll actually speak for Michael on this, uh, or I'll just speak as an observer of Michael. Michael is uh, – I mean, I, I could never do this. He just basically sits down and gets his guitar out, and he'll just – play and he'll just sing and whatever comes out of his mouth and he'll record it. And I'm just like, how do you do that? And then about the 20th time I saw him do it, I realized that the lyrics, his dummy lyrics are sometimes the same over and over again, but it's still amazing to me. And that process um, is very elusive to me. Uh, the ability to just freeform sing and then eventually hone that into something something amazing but um he, i think he'll tell you if you if you check his phone and all of his other recording devices you'll find you know a million and a half you know bits and pieces of songs that are like little gestating songs uh-huh. that may or may not eventually come to something and um i think the ex- that's where the external force comes in like if you need to make something then that might compel you to finish it but the the buds of it kind of come very naturally to him yeah, yeah, that's that's really true. And to me, like, I find that the best work that either I or we have done has come from a combination of just that improvisational, just kind of channeling whatever comes through you in a way, um, and then going back and crafting a little bit. But you don't want to overcraft because then you kind mm-hmm. of cover over the, the spark of what was in that original thing, and you just kind of go back and forth until you have a nice blend of that raw whatever was channeled through you and then something that actually makes sense and seems like you put out some quality art. (laughs) difficult and we do it very differently. I mean, I I write songs like a lawyer. I do. (laughs) So uh, not everybody thinks that it's as creative, but, uh, you know, I do. I I write it like a brief sometimes. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean to write a song like a lawyer? 
Uh, it means I like to sit down at my computer and write it and edit it and think about it and print it out and mark it up with a pen and you know, it's it's a very cerebral process to me, and uh-huh. that that to me is is spiritual as well. It's 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 a different kind, but it's still it still is creative to me. Well, and that's one of the things that I think is so fascinating by doing these shows with so many different artists is everybody has different ways that they create, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Is if we can embrace that we all create differently and don't try to make ourselves create like right. somebody else does, because it doesn't always work that way. So how does your art affect your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? Well, um, I remember years ago, um, I was at a point where I just graduated college, and uh, I, uh, I, had, I went to Israel for a, a month um, on this Eishat Torah retreat, which was, uh, was really amazing. And, of course, I went there before I'd really gotten back into Judaism. That was part of what kind of turned me back around, so to speak, if you want to call it that. But um, – and leaving that, when I came back home, uh, I kind of sat down and was really just trying to figure out what's the purpose of my life. What am I here for? Not that I hadn't – you know, I think about that a lot, actually. I'm always trying to clue into my purpose. But um, – and it was, uh, number one, to serve God, whatever that could mean, but just to to fulfill my – highest whatever I can be in this life so that it serves God or all humanity or just life. And then I I kind of decided that music is my special talent that I need to get out there in the world. That's the way that I can best serve God is to create music, to share music, to sing it, to teach it, to do whatever I can do to 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 get that out there. So that that's how it really fulfills my purpose. Uh, I think for both of us it's helped – us become more open-minded because even even if you you know Judaism is a very in some ways it's a very open-minded religion because it doesn't force a lot of faith on you and it allows you to argue and struggle a lot um, but it it can result in some closed-mindedness I think almost all faiths can can have that and with this music I, I just think it's it's opened both of our minds in terms of being able to understand different people and different things. So I, I think that's helping the evolution is toward open-mindedness, which is what I think if I could, if I could put my life philosophy into one word, that would be it. So tell our listeners how they can find out more about, about your music and about what you all do as a duo. Well, uh, we have a website and that's sunmoonpie, P-I-E, P-I-E. Dot, dot com. You won't forget the name, as we already discussed. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a Facebook page. You can just look us up on there. Um, that's pretty much the best way, I would say. Or if you're in Atlanta, feel free to come to a service at uh, our synagogue, Ahabatahim. Actually, actually, we'll be there tonight at 7.30. So uh, we'll be doing a, just two of us and a percussionist from 7.30 to about 9. Tonight, March 29th or... Oh, right, right. That's your discussion uh, right. later. <laughs> we, do, we do services on the last Friday of every month, typically. Our, our alternative service, that's when it is. So. And, Michael, how do um, folks find your website if they want to get any of your CDs? Yeah, uh, well, you can go to michaellevine.net, um, and that's for just me. And then the learning groove is the learning groove, G-R-O-V-E.com. So how did you get interested working with children? How did that start? It was one of those things where uh, 
Well, I, I was hardcore on the trying to get a record deal path with my original music, and I won't get into that whole story, but actually everything just fell apart. You know, I had some managers interested, some record labels, all, the, you know, all this stuff kind of starting to happen, and then just things just crashed and burned. Like, you know, one guy flaked out on me and this and that, and I was so exhausted from trying to to do the business side of the music to try to, you know, fulfill my purpose, you know. Right. <laughs> I think I got way off balance uh, from doing too much of the business. But anyway, after that happened, I just kind of let go of everything, and all of a sudden – all this other stuff started coming to me. I'd been clinging so tightly to trying to do my thing in this one way of trying to get a record deal and trying to be, you know, to get my music out there in that way. And then all of a sudden, you know, a neighbor, a friend in the community asked if I could sing at their camp. And I was like, I guess so. Sure. <laughs> so I just did it and they liked it. And then someone in you know, other place, school started asking me to sing for them. And it's kind of how it happened. And then, uh, and same thing with Jewish music. I mean, that's when the first my, a rabbi friend asked if I could sing at some retreat. And I was like, I guess so. And then someone asked me to produce a CD for them. And I was hardly even doing music production at that point. But I said, I guess so. And so I just tried all these things. And next thing you know, like uh, after a few years of developing these other skills and kind of more going with the flow instead of trying trying to command it so much, um, you know, it turns out that it ended up really uh, coming together in everything I've created with the Learning Groove and Sun Moon Pie and in these last several years, I, I couldn't have done all that if I hadn't let go of trying to do the thing in one way and just taken in what was coming to me and embraced it and learned how to do those things because it was right there. So it's been a neat process for me. So effort it a little less and go with the flow a little more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be a combination of both, but I think I just, right. you know, went a little too far on the effort side for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, to, do either of you have any last comments for our listeners about how they might be able to tap into their own creativity and connect it to the way that they express their spirituality? I think I would say... If you, ha if you are a person who loves music and loves singing and have not tried kirtan, find it. It's this entire subculture that I had no idea existed until a few years ago, and it's changed my life. So take a look. Look into it. And uh, so can you spell that for listeners? K-I-R-T-A-N. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, I would say... Um you know, one of my taglines that I used to put in my signature on emails and things like that was be inspired. And, uh, you know, so that could be in many ways, but, you know, to some degree, you know, make sure you seek out things that inspire you, whether it be music, kirtan, whether you go to an art museum, things like that. Keep yourself, keep your, keep the inflow coming of inspiration because sometimes we can get so busy that we just forget. And, uh, and then from there, you know, if you're someone who's a create, who wants to create, I mean, anybody can create, there's no division between an artist and a non-artist really. You know, just just do it. Sometimes uh, sometimes it flows naturally and you can't stop it. You know, and sometimes you get so busy that it, you just can't find the time to do it. But sometimes it's just important just to plan that time. And just even if you're going to sit there and just create a bunch of what you might call garbage, just do it. Just keep keep doing it. If you keep creating and keep doing things, it doesn't matter if it's, quote, good or bad. Just like there's no good or bad meditation, you know, is one mm -hmm. of the teachings you hear. You just got to do it and then... When the time is right, and you do feel that inspiration, you're uh, you'll have you'll have gotten the skills better. Like if it's a painter, you know, if you've been painting a bunch of quote garbage for a while, and you've been kind of developing some skills and starting to get a style, then when you do feel that inspiration, you're going to have ability to make something that's actually good and really powerful at that time. Whereas if you haven't been keeping up with doing it, then you're gonna it, you might stall out in the process and. 
that's what I would say. I think that's a great <laughs> point. So tell our listeners one more time how they can how they can find you guys. Sunmoonpie.com. Yep. That's the best way. And then michaellevine.com. Uh, dot net. Yeah. Dot net. Some, dot net. some other guy got dot com, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> well, thank you both for being on the show. I appreciate it. And it was, a, it was great having you here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artisworship.net. Please come share your stories of Art is Worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash artisworship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Mm-hmm.